You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. If anyone doesn't know who I am, my name's Tim. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, Yeah, what we got during the week, actually, was um, a letter from one of our compassion children. And... It's, it just really lifts your heart when you read some of these things. Uh, we've been supporting uh, Compassion Children now for many, many years, and uh, before that, actually, World Vision. So we've been in this for a little while, but this was probably one of the most profound letters we've received from one of the children. Uh, we've been supporting Gabriella, who's in Bolivia, uh, which is, as you may know, is a very poor country in South America. We've been supporting her for it's about 14 years, I think, and she's now about 20. So she's gone through schooling and she's now in her um, teacher training, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, teacher training. We got, we got this letter during the week and I, there's a couple of bits of it I'd really like to share with you. I'm teaching at Sunday Bible School now. I feel joyful to teach God's Word to the little ones. It's a joy. My church organised a sports activity that was a blessing for the youth. We played wally, whatever that is, uh, with a super big ball. It was very fun because the ball was extra big and the goal was to not let the ball touch the ground. There you go, youth group people, might be an activity for you. We also had another activity at church. It was a dinner for parents and children. The preaching of the guest pastor was beautiful and reflective for both parents and children. Every day that passes is another opportunity to learn. I was listening to a devotional about stewardship and management. We must learn how to manage our body, our time and our money. It was something interesting to enrich my knowledge. And this was an interesting one which caught my attention. I started reading a book about counselling. It is about how to encourage believers by using counselling. For instance, what the scriptures say about who people are and why they have problems. It's nice to learn more about him. Besides, it's nice to help Christians to understand people and their problems through Bible lenses. We should give specific Bible principles to believers to discern between true biblical counselling and the fake one. Sending you a big hug from afar, wishing you all the best to you and your family. That was um, just really uplifting because we've witnessed the real growth of Gabriella over the years, of the last 14 years. And now she's this lovely young lady who's in a uh, teacher training, ready to go out into the world. And we just feel so blessed to be in a position to be able to do that sort of thing. And I would encourage you, uh, if you're supporting children through organisations like Compassion or World Vision, good on you. Keep going. If you're not, I would encourage you, do so. Seriously, you will get more out of it than you realise. And as we can see, um, there's real kingdom benefit that comes through it as well. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. Okay, let's get into today, into the Word. This message, uh, which I've actually called the Bible a big picture view, is what could be called, if you like, a companion message to the 
the wonderful and insightful God story series that Joel has been presenting to us. As Joel has mentioned, he's been taking that 30,000-foot view of the Bible while landing at key moments and events, all of which point toward Jesus and the plan of redemption that God put into action immediately after Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden. And this is, of course, summarised in the four movements that you can see on the screen there, the four movements of creation, fall, redemption and restoration. Now, if you ever wanted to sum up the Bible in four words, they would cover it. They would cover it. So if ever you were asked, well, just what is the Bible? You can quickly reply. It is God's story describing the creation, the fall, redemption and restoration of mankind. There's a definition for you. So today, rather than taking that 30,000-foot view, I want us to go into space and look at the Bible as a whole. I remember back in the late 1960s, and yes, I'm old enough to remember back in the 1960s, when the USA was working hard to land some astronauts on the moon and, yes, to bring them safely back to Earth again. One of the missions key purpose was to travel outside the Earth's orbit to the Moon, orbit around it before heading back to Earth. So this is before the landing, which, as we know, was Apollo 11. In 1968, astronaut Bill Anders aboard the Apollo 8 command module took a photograph of the Earth rising above the Moon. And it was a stunning photograph. It was the first time, the first time, the Earth as a whole was visible for the world to see. And if you think about it, that's right. It could not have been seen from that perspective previously. Well, that's in some ways a picture of my purpose today, is to take that overall view of the Bible so that you can grow in confidence in it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for gathering us here today, both in person and online. And Lord, I pray that your will be done through this message, that where eyes need to be opened, where ears need to be opened, where your word needs to penetrate, I pray, Lord, that that is what occurs today. May the fruit that you design out of this message bear fruit in the days and the weeks ahead. Lord, I give it over to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's start off with some basics. Let's start off with some basics. What is the Bible? It simply means a book or collection of books. And yes, it does comprise 66 books, written by more than 40 different authors, over a period of approximately... 1,500 years, that span of the time of authorship. Most books, the author is known. However, there are some books where the author is unknown. In some cases, the, the author is speculated. For example, judges, different people have different views around that, but it is pure speculation. And in some cases, 
the author of a book is, uh, shall we say, the subject of ongoing scholarly debate. And if ever you want to get into a debate with a, um, a biblical scholar, just talk to them about the author of Hebrews, and no doubt that will arise. Different people have different opinions. That's okay. That's all right. Some authors contributed some of the Psalms, and some also contributed to the book of Proverbs. If you have a look at, uh, I think it's chapters 30 and 31, or 29 and 30 of Proverbs, you'll see that one's the sayings of Agar, and, and the next one is sayings of King Lemuel. So have a look at it. So different people have contributed to the Bible over the years. Now, being a book of both history and prophecy, looking back and looking forward, its text actually spans the breadth of humanity on planet Earth, from creation, as described in Genesis, to the fulfilment of restoration, as described at the end of this age, which is recorded in the book of the Revelation. The Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written primarily in Greek. And in the late 4th century AD, a certain Jerome of Striden, commonly known as Saint Jerome, was commissioned by the Pope at the time, who I believe was Pope Damasus I, to compile the agreed books of the Bible and translate them into Latin, which was the common language of the Roman Empire. Hence the name of the Bible being the Latin Vulgate version. Now, don't get hung up on the word Vulgate. Vulgate simply means commonly used. It's somewhat similar to the term koine, or common Greek. Now, I think, and I'm always happy to be corrected, that this was the first compilation of all the books of the Bible into a single volume. And remember, at that time, they were all handwritten. It was all handwritten. No printers happening in those days. Now, all the original writings did not contain the chapter and verse uh, structures uh, with which we are so familiar. It's thought that chapter divisions were inserted by a certain Cardinal Hugo de Escaro in 1238. If I didn't get that pronunciation right, I apologise. And the verses were added by a certain Robertus Stephanus in 1551, which followed the arrival of Gutenberg's press, Gutenberg's printing press, which in many ways was one of the greatest inventions to have occurred throughout human history. Guess what the first document was printed by Gutenberg's press? It was the Bible. It was the Bible. And since then, each year, or currently anyway, more than 100 million copies of the Bible are printed every year, and it remains year on year the most printed book in the world. Thus far, it has been translated into more than 1,200 languages and counting. Now, you may be aware that this is part of the work that Hans and Elke were supporting during their time in New Guinea. Now, 
I was struck by that 1,200 languages. So what else do you do? I did a quick Google search. And it seems that there are over 7,100 languages in use in the world today. It's worth noting what Jesus said in Matthew 24:14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. 1,200, 7,100. There's a little way to go. We know that the end of this age will not come until all the world has had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And so the work of organisations such as Wycliffe, Bible Translators, continues. This, of course, raises the question, how do we know that the Bible we have today is the same as that written up to three and a half thousand years ago? Three and a half thousand years. Well, this would have been, it was possible, but it was more difficult to answer before the 1940s. However, in 1946, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in the Judean desert along the north shore of the Dead Sea. These are scrolls that date back to the second century BC and contain fragments of all the books of the Old Testament with the one exception of the book of Esther. And interestingly, it contains the complete book of Isaiah, which, curiously enough, is the book with some of the most profound and accurate prophecies concerning Jesus. Comparing the scrolls with modern texts proves the remarkable preservation that has occurred in the biblical texts across the centuries and across the translations. And while I, I think about archaeology and uh, what occurred in 1940s, archaeology has never contradicted anything recorded in the Bible. In all the archaeological digs, they have never found anything that would contradict anything in the Bible. Conversely, Archaeologists actually use the Bible as a reference tool. From the Bible, they form deductions based on what they find. And this was really uh, brought out a number of years ago now. For a long time there, uh, you read in the Old Testament about the Hittites. They are one of the tribes in the, the region of Canaan there had been no archaeological evidence for these Hittites. Who are these people? And so there was the doubt starting to rise, oh, yes, it's just one of those books that... Well, guess what? They found some archaeological evidence that spoke about the Hittites. Once again, the Bible was proven to be accurate. OK. What about all those contradictions? Those alleged contradictions that we hear are in the Bible. Well, this is a charge that's particularly aimed at the four Gospels when they're describing the same event. And if you look at all of them, they're really very marginal differences anyway, but we'll, we'll have a look at one of them. On that first Easter Sunday morning, which ladies went to the tomb? 
What do the Gospels say about that? Well, in Matthew's Gospel, it says it was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Mark adds a bit more information and says Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, as well as Salome. Luke, he goes further. Luke includes Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Joanna, and the others with them. So sounds like it's a party. There's quite a few going there. John only mentions Mary Magdalene. So who did go to the empty tomb? Well, I think we can be confident Mary Magdalene did. We'd be very confident also that probably Mary, the mother of James, did. And you know what? The others, they probably did as well. Why the difference? Why the difference? Well, to me, it's a little bit like if a group of us were to go to a football game. And on the way home, we would discuss the key moments, the key plays, the best players. Do you really think we'd all be in 100% agreement with all the detail? You listen to the football commentators now, and some people are saying, oh, he was the best player in the game. Oh, no, 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 no. This guy, he, he really made the difference. They're looking at it from a different perspective, and they're drawing out bits that particularly resonated with them. Usually, we agree on the key factors, the most important bits, the general content, but often it's the minor details that do vary. Now, I have heard that evidence experts in courts of law, etc., look for small variations in the testimonies of eyewitnesses to confirm the validity of the overall message. If they're all uniform, it implies collaboration and is thus challenged. Small variations, curiously enough, confirm validity, because we always look at things from our own perspective. And this is what we find in the Bible. There are some versions of the Bible that contain some additional books, and these are always Old Testament books and are known as the Apocrypha. Examples include the books of Tobit or Tobias, Baruch, Ecclesiasticus, not to be confused with Ecclesiastes, and 1 and 2 Maccabees, and there are a number of others. Now, some denominations do regard them with equal value as the 66 commonly agreed books of the Bible. They certainly do contain historical and cultural interest, but the critical criteria for being included in what is known as the canon of scripture are two questions. Is it believed to be divinely inspired? And is it self-authenticating, or other words, is it authenticated by and coherent with the rest of scripture? They are the two key questions to be answered. Now, you could imagine that this process has been subject to considerable debate over the centuries and no doubt will continue until the end of time. What we can know for sure 
is the 66 books in our commonly used Bibles today comprise the universally agreed canonical texts. Could I ask the welcome team to start handing out communion, please? Thanks, guys. With what I've said, and as we start to consider communion, I'd like to read this passage out of the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let that really soak in. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, The world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Folks, this is why the Bible is so central to our faith. This passage says very clearly that Jesus is the Word, the Word that became flesh. Jesus and the Word, which by definition means the Bible, are synonymous. It is through the written Word of the Bible that we gain revelation of the divinity of Jesus. Yes, revelation can come other than by reading the Bible. But any revelation of Jesus must be consistent with what is revealed in his Word. In that way... Any revelation is and should always be testable. What is this to do with communion, you may well ask? Well, in the Gospels, Jesus tells us to do just this, in remembrance of him. We read that, we believe it, we are obedient to it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I I thank you for your word, which is your word, 
your word to us that reveals your nature, your love, your grace, your truth. I thank you for Jesus, for his redemption of mankind through his life, his death and his resurrection that we remember here and now in this sacrament of communion. Lord, I thank you, I honour you and I give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat and drink together. Before I finish up, I'd just like to offer this thought as a takeaway for you. If you agree that Jesus is the Word, as described in that passage in in John's Gospel, and that the definition of the Word applies to the whole Bible, and you appreciate what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.16, where he says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Put all that together. Do you consider the whole Bible to be the word of God? And if it is, if it is the very word of God, then how much attention do you think we should give to it? Just have a think about that for a moment. Because here I believe God in the Bible is speaking directly to all mankind. Don't you think we all need to find out what he's saying to us? Don't we all need to make reading, studying, unravelling? Yes, because some of it does need to be unravelled. All of Scripture... Not just your favourite little books, not just your favourite little verses, but the whole sweep of scripture. Don't we need to make that a priority in our lives? Because remember, it's the word of God we're talking about. The word of God. Not the words of a human. And irrespective of how famous they may be, I'm sorry, but I think whatever God has to say to us, carries a bit more weight. In fact, so much weight it doesn't compare. I'll leave that thought with you. That's your take home.